Good morning. Our scripture from today comes from Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe, yourse clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom <clears throat> through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, it seems like the new year means new wardrobe and clothing. I don't know if you, you've noticed that as well, but it seems like I've just seen a lot of new gear, nice new gear. Maybe it was Christmas gifts that people got, or maybe it's just time to get in on the latest winter fashion trends. I'm not sure, but everyone wants to show off their, their new threads, their new clothes, their new kicks. And so today we are also going to be talking about clothing. <laughs> no, not the coolest new trends of 2022. We, we are going to be learning uh, that we are to be clothed with compassion. We heard that from the scripture reading just a moment ago. As I studied this passage, that phrase just leapt off of the uh, pages at me, to be clothed with compassion. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So let me introduce myself. I'm John. I serve as lead pastor here at MCA. Just thrilled to have you with us. And I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. Starting a brand new sermon series today that we're calling Cancelled. You know, we just see more and more people canceled in the public forum, don't we? They messed up. Cancel them. They said the wrong thing. Cancel them. And, and, and it's challenging to know how to respond to that. Like, um, and we in the church, uh, and, and full disclosure here, I've participated in uh, many a boycott. <laughs> You know, there have been times where we've said, no, we're going to take a stand and we're against that. Um, but it can be hard to navigate the, uh, when we see this sort of cancel culture that's happening around us. You know, the headlines are just filled with scrutiny and then, of course, condemnation. And so here's what we're going to do. Over the next four weeks, we're going to take time to consider this topic. We're, what we're going to do is we're going to learn the biblical approach. Like, what do the scriptures say about this? The biblical approach... Um, and it's filled with things like repentance and restoration. Um, like, how do we keep people accountable? Because that's important, and that's, that's part of this, including ourselves. What, what do we have built into our framework that we might be held accountable for the times where we fall short, the times where we mess up, and yet, don't the scriptures call us to leave room for grace, forgiveness, restoration, that, that God calls us to those things, not cancellation, but restoration. So I'm excited for uh, kicking off a new year this January with these four weeks on canceled. So let's talk a little bit about cancel culture. It is trying to stop wrong people 
or wrong actions, right? I mean, that, that's kind of the intent behind it is like, we, we want to stop. We want to keep uh, them from continuing on with what they're doing with the wrong thinking. So it's kind of this, well, you messed up. So we don't have any use for you anymore. You messed up. And so you don't have any more value. So wanting justice isn't wrong. No, there's, there's biblical justice that we live in pursuit of. Wanting justice is not wrong. Wanting to hold people accountable is biblical. We'll talk about that more uh, in the coming weeks. We should have a passion for the truth of God and God's word. Yes, all of those things are true. I think the issue right here at the onset, very simply put, is who among us has not done wrong? Here's the the ultimate issue right at the front of talking about cancel culture, and that is to say, if we're canceling people who've messed up and sinned and fallen short, like, haven't we all? Don't we all get canceled? So if messing up and making mistakes gets you canceled, then we're all canceled. And so this morning, I want to proclaim that, you know, we really can't try to cancel someone, or really, maybe even we should start with confront someone without first recognizing our own need of God's grace. And really, there's a biblical truth there. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. (laughs) Furthermore, let me say this. Each and every person is an image bearer of the Almighty God. We know this from Scripture, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That life, each and every life, is precious. Each and every person has value, has worth, and dignity. And yet, look at our culture. There's a lot to be enraged about. I'm not disputing that. There there are a lot of things where, oh boy, (laughs) evil, deceitfulness oppression. And so shouldn't we take action? Yes, of course. But let me caution us there. When we're taking action, is it because we truly want redemption? Is it because we truly want restoration? Or are we guilty of really wanting revenge? Are we guilty of really wanting to stick it to them? So I think these are some of the important questions we should ask as we look at our culture and and our role in it and how do we respond both to the rampant sinfulness that we see, but also then the cancel culture that some have chosen in response. So these are good questions for us to ask. How do we respond to the evil we see around us? How do we confront sinful behavior? In fact, next week, I'd like to dedicate solely to this idea of accountability. So let's be prepared for that. Next Sunday, we're going to really hone in on accountability and what it means. But I I would say, simply put, we need to move beyond cancel culture. (laughs) We need to embrace a heart of compassion. And again, as we're studying Colossians 3 today, if you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. In verse 12, it just jumps out that we are to be clothed with compassion. Listen, this goes for each and every one of us. You might consider yourself a very compassionate person. And maybe you are, and the people in your uh, circles would affirm that. He or she, very compassionate. You might not be very compassionate. 
Like, well, that's kind of a weakness. I don't really empathize with others well. Or you're maybe somewhere in the middle. This goes for all of us. We're all called to clothe ourselves in compassion. It reminds me of the two men who were out golfing. And one of them is just about to take a swing when this uh, funeral procession appears on the road just next to the golf course. They were very nearby there, and a funeral procession is going by. I mean, he just stops mid-swing. He takes off his cap. He closes his eyes. He waits until the funeral has gone by. And then he's proceeding on with his golf swing. And his, his golfing buddy's like, hey, that's the most touching thing I've ever seen. I mean, you are a very compassionate man. The guy kind of looks up. He's about to play the ball and goes, yep, yeah. well, we were married 25 years. <laughs> no matter where you are on the compassion scale, we're all called to clothe ourselves in compassion. So turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Let's key in. Let's begin with verse 12. We'll jump around a little bit this morning. We'll go to the, some of the verses before that and then after that. But if we look at verse 12, we're in Colossians chapter 3. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So it's like Paul is saying here, you need a new set of clothes. <laughs> but look at these rags you've been wearing. Look at these outdated styles. You, he's like, you need a new set of threads. Before you know Jesus, before you're part of the kingdom, I mean, your, your outlook is just totally different, the, the way you respond to people, right? I mean, there's, there's no point of reference for your response other than your fleshly response. And so no wonder then, if you don't know Jesus, that you're grumpy, <laughs> that you're grouchy and short with people, that you hold grudges. When someone has wronged you, you want to hold that against them. That you want things your way and you don't really care what other people want. And that when you don't get things your way, well, then you display those fits of rage. Kind of like a toddler. No checks. So when you don't know Jesus, this, this is the clothing you wear. And it's easy to see that you're harsh with people and you're cruel with people and you don't care. But it's this life of following Jesus and, and being conformed, not conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, like becoming more Christ-like. It's this process that we're called to a different path. We're called to be like Jesus, and we're called to clothe ourselves in compassion, where we're not canceling people because of their mistakes, but we're responding to people, no matter how they've treated us, with kindness, with compassion. So how do we do that? How do we develop a compassionate heart? I think we've got some clues here in Colossians chapter 3. And so what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together is share three ways to clothe ourselves with compassion. And it begins with humbly admitting your own mistakes. So I touched on this just a moment ago. Paul goes into great detail there. So we're in Colossians chapter 3. Go back to starting in verse 5. And we're going to see here like... Like, before we cancel people because of their failures, we've got to first admit and reconcile and come to terms with our own failures. If we want to cancel anything, well, Paul's basically saying, go ahead and cancel the ungodly things in your own life. So Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 5. 
Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You want some examples? Paul says, here they are. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Lust. Evil desires. And greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. I mean, that's a sermon right there. He says it's begins with your own mistakes. He says, cancel culture. Hmm. This is the Apostle Paul. Cancel culture. Sure, I'm for that. I need to cancel a lot of things in my life. You should embrace cancel culture too when you say, I need to stop being so angry. I need to to, uh, cease the places in my life that are impure. The the filthy words that I use need to stop in my life. Yes, I need to cancel some things. So this idea of how do we clothe ourselves in compassion, develop a heart of compassion, it begins with recognizing and admitting our own need of God's grace. So there are lots of things that we should cancel. We really don't have time this morning to expound on each and every one listed here. Sexual sin and jealousy, the love of money, right? But, but as I read this passage, I, I don't think it's all just the pre-Jesus, blatantly obvious things you dealt with, right? Because Paul then goes on to say, also, like, you better continue to keep a careful watch. Like, you're now clothing yourself with Christ, you're in the kingdom, but you've got to continue to keep a careful watch on your life. Eliminate anger by the grace of God. That you wouldn't slander. That's when someone else isn't around and you're talking about them. And for some reason, it's kind of all of their weaknesses. It's the things you don't appreciate about the person. Maybe just the things that, if truly are of concern, you should be saying to the person's face. Like, if you cared about that person, you would be sharing those things like, hey, I see this in your life. But you don't care about that person. So slander is when they're not present and you're sort of just allowing that to fester among other people behind their back. Yeah, and he does this. Did you notice she said that? Paul says, you want to cancel something? Cancel that. Stop slandering. Stop cutting people down. Have some compassion. And filthy talk like you're followers of Jesus. You're part of the kingdom of light. Let him sanctify your speech. Let the spirit of God tame your tongue. Don't you know from James chapter three, it's like a spark that starts a whole forest on fire. So based on our sin and our wrongdoing, then ultimately, listen, here's the truth of the gospel. Each one of us is canceled because of our wrongdoing. Each one of us is, is uh, undeserving of an eternity in God's presence because we have messed up. But that is why Jesus came. (laughs) Because we needed a a rescuer. We needed a savior. So I would say this. Before you start pointing out all the problems in other people, 
look to the issues in your own life. Jesus touches on this, of course, in Matthew chapter 7. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Just this past week, I came across a few lessons from a humor columnist named Dave Barry. He says it took him 50 years to learn these things. So you can learn them quicker than that if you're less than 50. I'll share, I'll share his learnings with us. He says, never under any circumstances take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. <laughs> he says, if... <laughs> He says, if you had to identify in one word the reason why the human race has not achieved and never will achieve its full potential, that one word would be meetings. He says, there's a very fine line between hobby and mental illness. (laughs) Another lesson he learned is never lick a steak knife. And then this is the the fifth one that he listed. He listed five things that he learned by the time he was 50. And he says this, a person who is nice to you but rude to the waiter is not a nice person. So no, sin has no place in God's kingdom. And you and I are called to do something about that. Yes, yes, and yes. The question, of course, is where does that begin? not pointing fingers it's recognizing our own sin that i stand in need of god's great grace without christ i am dead in my sins separated from him for all eternity oh but in christ i am a new creation i might still be prone to stumbling and failing and fumbling and falling and sinning but christ is working in me. And as I continue to repent and seek him and recognize my own shortcomings, he forgives and restores. And you know what that does then? That helps me, as cold and callous and unconcerned and uncaring as I am, to then begin to develop a heart of compassion for others. So it begins with first admitting our own mistakes. We also grow this heart of compassion by forgiving others when they fail. So this is a logical step here. Once we understand that we have failed, once we understand our own need of really compassion, that God restores us, then it becomes possible for us to extend the same thing to others. So stop holding grudges. Choose to walk in forgiveness and in freedom. So we're in Colossians chapter 3, jump forward then to verse 13. So Colossians 3, 13. Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we choose forgiveness. Now there is probably a caveat that we should take here. There, there, there is sort of a disclaimer. There's a clarification that I need to make as I'm preaching the word of God this morning. Yes, we are called to forgive. That is crystal clear. When we are wrong, when, when we have a grievance against someone, we choose to forgive. However, forgiveness does not equal foolishness. So we might think of, of cases of abuse, for example. 
the perpetrator, the one who has done wrong, must walk through steps of rehabilitation. So in cases of abuse, and and in some ways the church has gotten this wrong, but the perpetrator's got to walk through steps of rehabilitation. If there is an instant where we have a husband who is abusing his wife, or abusing his children, then we will protect the wife and we will protect the children. And so forgiveness does not equal foolishness. Yes, redemption is the goal. And um, sometimes that looks like walking through legal consequences. Sometimes that means walking through separation. Sometimes that means recognizing the seriousness of an offense. Now, we don't just say, well, the Bible says forgive. And so we're going to continue in a situation that is dangerous. So it's foolish to put someone in a situation where they're being abused, where their safety is being compromised. So I wanted to be clear on that, that in no way, as I preach forgiveness, and as we do choose that, that, that we use the wisdom that God gives us, in unique and special cases like that. We're seeking redemption. But that path might be a longer journey. If we jump down to verse 16, it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So, This sort of forgiveness where someone is wronged, and and maybe it's a serious offense that means a season of rehabilitation or or reporting to the authorities, criminal activity. Like, this only happens in a way that's filled with grace if we are continually in the Word of God. That this message of Christ, the Word of Christ, would dwell among us richly. So this is a good opportunity for me to encourage you to get into the scriptures every single day. Don't just get into the Bible on Sundays. Every single day, open the word of God. Allow it to transform you each and every day to impact every area of your life. And and then you're you're putting those things into practice. You know, the, the Bible is not just, well, I heard this neat little message at my church on a Sunday morning. You know, we, we work hard to, to equip you through our messages and through the word of God, yes. But you, you have the scriptures. Get into them each and every day. Allow them to impact your everyday life. Put these things into practice. The scriptures should affect the way you live and the way you think. When you go to school, when you go to work, the way you respond to your family members and your friends and those in your core group. And so, yes, we, we choose to forgive when we are wronged. We choose to forgive when someone fails. Why? Because of the word of God that dwells among us richly. We know the truths of the scripture. With the scriptures, we teach one another. We see there in verse 16. With the scriptures, we admonish one another. With it, we restore one another. But here's the unfortunate thing. We live in a society that is unforgiving. And that's cancel culture. Unforgiving. You messed up, there's no hope of coming back from it. You get canceled. 
But if we're going to develop a compassionate heart, first of all, we're going to admit our own need. Second, we're going to walk in radical forgiveness of others. And finally, we're going to love one another. Love others, even when it's hard. So this, this happens when we clothe ourselves with compassion. We choose then this sort of sacrificial, unconditional love, this agape love, the, the kind that turns the other cheek, the kind that perseveres even when someone is unlovable. So we see then in verse 14, we're in Colossians chapter 3, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So listen, love's not a feeling. I don't have time this morning to explain all of this. We should do a whole sermon series on it probably. The biblical love is not what we think of in our culture as like lovey-dovey. You know, Valentine's Day will be coming up next month. Love isn't a feeling. Love is action. Love is this intentional choice whereby we say, God, do your work in and through me, and I choose to be kind. I choose to be gentle. I choose to be patient. Why? Because God has been that way with me. Because the spirit of Christ that indwells me is a kind and compassionate and loving God. And so God may I be a conduit of those things to others. So we choose to forgive. We choose to love one another. Yes, even when we have a complaint with them. And so I'm not suggesting that we just gloss over when someone does something wrong. No, it is appropriate to address it. It is appropriate to, to um, have those conversations and discussions. To, to walk through conflict in a way that's healthy and honoring to God. But, but it's that kind of commitment that we've got to have with one another if we're going to be a healthy body of Christ, if we're going to be a healthy expression as a local church, if we're going to become a vibrant community of transformed believers. <laughs> Otherwise, what's going to happen is we're just going to tear each other apart because we're all different. Each and every one of us is unique, and, and there are things that we view differently in the world. There are, there are approaches that we might take differently, but we choose to love one another, all the while recognizing that that's just the kind of love that God has for us. It's sacrificial. He gave his one and only son for a people who were sinful. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He makes sons and daughters out of enemies, He makes a way back for the ones who have strayed. And so we do the same thing for one another. We love one another, even when it's hard. That's the kind of love that Jesus had. You know, if you you read the Gospels, you see time and time and time again that he was filled with compassion. One of those places is Matthew 9, 6. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. I recall in one of the Winnie the Pooh stories, uh, Pooh Bear is walking along the riverbank. Maybe you guys have seen this or recall this. And then Eeyore suddenly appears, and he's floating downstream on his back. <laughs> Eeyore is, is very clearly troubled by this situation. You imagine he's, he's running the scenario of possibly drowning because of the precarious situation he's in. Now, Pooh, the exchange that takes place, Pooh sort of calmly asks Eeyore if he has fallen in. <laughs> and Eeyore, he's trying to sort of keep his composure. Like he's trying to put, put on this air of like, I'm in complete control. And he answers, silly of me, wasn't it? <laughs> and, and 
And Pooh sort of manages to overlook his friend's pleading eyes and just remarks that Eeyore should have been more careful. That the situation is growing worse. Eeyore seems to be really in greater need than ever and <clears throat> politely thanks Pooh Bear for his advice. <laughs> and then Pooh Bear, uh, like with a yawn, just sort of um, points out, I think you're sinking. This whole thing is happening both lightning speed, but also just painfully slow, by the way. Um, and then it's almost, almost like Eeyore knows, like, he, like, this is his opportunity, like, he is losing all hope. And so he finally asks Pooh Bear if he would rescue him. So Pooh pulls him to safety, pulls him to the shore. Uh, Eeyore apologizes for being so silly. And Pooh says, well, you should have asked sooner. The reason that stood out to me is, is just, like, do you see yourself in that exchange in any ways? Like, either as Pooh, who's really sort of, I don't either disinterested or distracted or to the point where there's sort of a crisis unfolding and he doesn't really address it. Eeyore, are you okay? You've fallen in. Give me your hand. Let me pull you out. It's this nonchalant approach, sort of disconnected, like, uh, this might be awkward if I say you've fallen in and need help, so I'm just going to, did you fall in? Do you see yourself in the story? Maybe you're more Eeyore. (laughs) You know, you're the, I'm in panic mode right now, but I'm going to kind of try to play it cool, because I want to, I want to, I want to keep this facade of, like, I've got everything under control. I don't need your help. I don't need you to rescue me. And yet I sort of do. This, this scene just, for some reason, it's, it just jumped out at me. I think we often find ourselves in one of those two places. I think we can often, maybe, maybe you're like me, and you, you can often find yourself going to places like, it's not my fault that they're in that situation. They should have been more careful. They should have worked harder. Or if you're like me, sometimes you're like, that problem is way too big for me to have anything to do with. Like, there's no way that I am capable. I don't have the resources. I don't have the margin to even address that. I wouldn't even know where to begin. And so I'm convicted that I often have that attitude. And I see in the the person of Jesus, my Lord, my master, that I want to be more like him. Jesus had a compassionate heart. Jesus calls us to develop a compassionate heart. I I want to take us to a a passage of scripture where that's really on display in a powerful way. So turn to Matthew chapter 8. The compassionate heart of Jesus. Matthew chapter 8. We'll go to the beginning of the chapter, starting in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. We know something of leprosy, that it was this dreaded, contagious, you know, skin disease. It was, it was grotesque. 
you know, rashes and pus and losing sensation and often getting infected. And so if you had leprosy, you were banished from society in the time of Jesus. Like, you had to live outside the city walls. Uh, in fact, no one was allowed to have contact with you. And when someone came near to you, you had to cover your face and call out, unclean, unclean, like you had to give fair warning. This was actually in the Mosaic Law. And so when you got this diagnosis, like you have leprosy, I mean, this, this means you're cut off from your family, from your friends, from your community, so we don't know how long this particular guy had been a leper. We don't, we don't really have his full story, but he knew rejection. Like at the sight of him, fathers are grabbing their children in horror. Ch- you know, uh, children are pointing and staring. You can just imagine a, a guy like that and he's, He's hurting and he's struggling and maybe many a night he's shaking his fist at the heavens and he's like, what did I do to deserve this? And so the story then, as it unfolds, is like Jesus comes into his region. He, he takes the opportunity to go right before Jesus. He goes right up to him, you notice. Didn't seem to cover his face or call out unclean. Like he is in, he is all up in Jesus' business. He is all up in his face and probably the rest of the group that was there is all just uh, backtracking. They're just wheeling. They're just trying to get away. Like, it's a leper, and he's coming right up to us, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't step back. In fact, he draws near. So as we look at these verses, we see that as the, the man with leprosy comes and kneels before him, he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Really? Uh, it's more of a statement than it is a question, isn't it? It's more of a statement of faith. I know what you're capable of doing. He doesn't even ask him if he'll, he'll do it. It's a statement of faith. And Jesus draws near. Jesus pronounces healing. Jesus touches the man. A, a contagious disease. And Jesus reaches into that and places his hand upon that. And of course, then the man is restored to health immediately, instantly. <laughs> and... and The reason that I take us to this passage today is like, it's powerful. Oh, the healing power of a loving touch from a compassionate heart. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And then you think about this guy and you're like, could it be that really the disease that he needed healing from the most wasn't leprosy, but it was this loneliness and rejection. It was that he was an outcast that that he needed to know that he was valued. That he needed to know that he was wanted and embraced and loved. And so for us today, we might not have lepers anymore, but we certainly have people who know what it is to be rejected, don't we? Some of us here would say, we know what it is to be rejected, to feel unwanted, to feel alone, to have been outcast. And we just live in a world that doesn't show compassion. But in the church, we choose to be compassionate because God has been compassionate to us. And in the person and in the life and in the teaching and in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, he was compassionate. And as we are conformed into his image, we develop compassionate hearts. The clothing that we take on is compassion. Even those that are different. 
even those that have already been thrown out and discarded. People that are crippled with sin. God calls us to extend love to each and every person, regardless of who they are or what they look like or where they've wandered or the things that they're struggling with. Let me issue a few action steps before we disband this morning. I don't want us to leave this place wondering how do we, how do we put this into action. And I feel like this particular uh, message, being people of compassion, needs to be lived out. First action step is to keep your eyes on Jesus. That this is in no way, shape, or form a be a better human message. That's not a message that this pastor pushes out. Just like, just be a better person. Just do better things. No, that's not what I'm saying. So please, if, if you've in any way heard that, let me clarify. That's not what I'm saying. That as your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you become more like him and he develops in you a heart of compassion so that your actions and your behavior look a little bit more like his. So that's the first action step this week. Seek him in prayer. Seek him through his word. Get into the gospels to say, how did Jesus respond to people? I want to navigate a culture where there are people who are rejected and outcast. And Jesus did that well. I also love, if you were Colossians chapter 3, like the beginning of this passage, verses 1 and 2, talk about, you know, setting your hearts on things that are above where Christ is. I think we're often guilty of comparison more than compassion. And what I mean by that is like, when I compare myself to someone else, then I might be con- like tempted to condemn them when I compare myself. Like, I'm not as bad as he is. And so, boo, hiss, shame on him. Like, they, they look way worse than me. And all of a sudden, I'm inflated with pride and I'm condemning someone else when when I fix my eyes on Jesus boy I more fully understand the grace of God poured out for sinners even sinners like me so that's the first action step that I want each and every one of us to do is keep our eyes on Jesus the second one is to give thanks this this attitude of gratitude it's not just a season it's not just late November like this is year round this is a response to all that God has done and I would say this too it's vitally important in our relationships this attitude of gratitude that's why it's mentioned three times in these last verses of this passage in Colossians 3 in 15 and 16 and 17 he says Paul says be thankful he says sing with gratitude in your hearts to God he says give thanks to God the Father so The next time you are tempted to cancel someone, humbly consider your own mistakes and how grateful you are for a God who forgives you. And then, with eyes fixed on Jesus, walk the path of restoration. Clothe yourselves with compassion as you admit your mistakes, forgive others, and extend love, remembering it was Christ who first loved us. Let's pray.
Lord, we humbly confess and admit today our great need of you. We recognize our shortcomings and our failures, and yes, God, our sin. There are times we have willfully and intentionally done wrong, harmed others, disobeyed you. And there are other times, God, where we have simply failed to act. Those sins of omission, where you've opened wide a door, where you've led us to a certain place, and we've missed it. And so in that, Lord, we humbly and gratefully say, forgive us, restore us. And as we walk in the newness of your grace poured out in our lives, Lord, would you develop in us a heart of compassion? And that as we see one another and as the world looks at us, they would indeed see our new set of clothes. <laughs> and we would be clothed with compassion. Hearts that are for one another for our community and our schools and our workplaces, for our friends and relatives who don't yet know you. And that God, in your master plan, you would somehow use us as a testimony and as signposts pointing to the goodness that we find only in you and in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.